Welcome to Worship at Grace Lakin. This service was recorded on March 6, 2022. Pastor Rem Dias winds down the Jonah series, bringing a gospel message from Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 through 11, with his sermon titled, Plants or People? planting a church while well, we're gathering around, um, and it's printed at the top of your worship guide. It says, by grace, we are rooted in the gospel, committed to growing together, and sent to love Lincoln and the nations. If you would please rise, and we'll join Titus in the close. Good morning. this morning is based on Psalms 96, 1 through 6. I'll read the leader part and y'all can join in where it says all. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Please remain standing for our songs of praise.
striving or pretending or performing, Lord, leave it all at the cross this morning that you would renew a new awe of your power and your mercy in all that you've done for us. We ask that you change our hearts this morning through the preaching of your word, and through the music, through the fellowship with one another. God, remind us who you are and who you made us to be. We are your adopted children who are no longer orphans, lost and wandering and looking for hope in this world, God, because you are our only hope. You are our only joy. And we ask that you just help us to remember that this morning. Light a fire inside of us so that we could go out into the world and be your light, be the salt, be your hands and feet for everyone around us. In Jesus' name we pray.
Good morning. How are we doing, everybody? You guys are looking great as always. Uh, I would just invite you to take your worship guide. We come again to a time of, of renewal. And, and so we're, we're going to read scripture and we're going to let it expose us in a way. And, and we're going to fall upon his mercy, which is more. All right. The very thing that we just sang. So Psalms, today's renewal comes from Psalms. 139, Psalm 139, 23 through 24, says this, the psalmist says, search me, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I can tell you one thing I know we don't like is slowing down. Just talking with someone about this this morning. Slowing down and just saying, hey, Lord, uh, examine me. Uh, it's not, we, we have an early service. It's nine o'clock. You guys have got here, you know, you know, <laughs> and so there, there might not have been a time you'd slow down this morning. But I just, I'm gonna, I might extend our summit time of prayer and confession. If kids are making noise, it's all right. But I really want you to just look at this and ask this to the Lord. Lord, just search me right now. Just search me. Is there anything that I'm bringing in here that I can lay before you? Alright? And we can just boldly lay it before him. Knowing you can come to Jesus just as you are. Alright? So let's take a time of silent prayer and confession. Father, we are so thankful we do not have to hide, but yet that's the very thing we try to do at times. It's the very thing Adam and Eve did. As soon as they sinned, they, they hid in shame. And Lord, you, you want us to come to you just as we are. And so Lord, I don't know every burden. I don't know every thought in this building this morning, but you do. And at times I might scare us and think, oh no, God knows this, and you know I thought that, and, and I've done this, but Lord, I just pray that any, anything that has been stirred in their hearts this morning that is a grievous to you, Lord, and they've brought it to your feet. Lord, help us to believe what we see, that your mercy is more. It, it's, it's more. Your grace is more. It's Jesus, there's, there's, as long as that tomb is empty, it, it, we have hope. We have all the hope in the world. And so, Father, I just pray that you'd slow us down this morning, that your spirit would fill this place, that, God, we would, we would truly desire to meet with you and have our hearts renewed 
and, and, and Father, be filled up with your spirit and to be sent out um, with this, this great commission that you've sent us here to do. So, Lord, um, just continue to, to move in the service and thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the assurance of our parting comes from Ephesians chapter 1, 4 through 7. It says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be a holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has, I love this word, freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Amen. In him we have redemption. Amen. So let's stand and let's, let's respond to the scene. Guess what, guys? We've made it. This is it. The last 
Sunday in Jonah. I'm actually kind of sad. I'm actually kind of sad. I've, I've grown fond of this amazing book, this weird book. I mean, there's literally no other minor prophet uh, like this. I mean, it really is. It's, it's a narrative, uh, which is so cool. So uh, we're going to wrap it up. Chapter 4. Uh, chapter 4, we're going to look at 5 through 11. Uh, and then hang on. Next week, we are diving into the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in Mark for quite some time. Uh, and I'm, I'm telling you what, it is, the Gospel of Mark is fast-paced and heavy doses of Jesus. And it's just going to be, uh, I cannot wait to go through a Gospel together with you guys. So, uh, if you want to prepare, I guess you can read the Gospel of Mark this week. Uh, but, no, a good deal. Um, so, yeah, that will be, be next week. So, here we go. Let's dive in. We've got some ground to cover this morning. Chapter 4, verse 5, and read from the ESV. Here we go. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it, uh, sat, sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do do well to be angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came up into being in the night and perished in the night. And should I, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from the left, and also much cattle. And all the Western Kansas people said, Amen. Woo! I mean, I mean, seriously, isn't the Bible just so hilarious? Like, you've got to see it, and much cattle. Alright, so today's sermon, we're going to talk about cattle. Alright? Uh, I'm just kidding. We're, we're not. Uh, we're going to get to that verse in just a second. But uh, titling this, this message, Plants are People. Plants are People. Turn to your neighbor and say, Plants are People. Plants are People. All right. We're going to have some fun. All right, let's, let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word. And I thank you that, again, um, I can take the pressure off because your word is what does the work. And so I'm just praying, God, you would, you would just help us to see once again what's here. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir in us, stir in us the light in you. And Father, again, just take my words and don't, again, as, as Paul said, I don't want to tamper with anything here. The blunt things help me to just say what's here. And, and Father, just please, please just give us faith. 
Give us faith this morning. I pray that, again, we would leave here glorying in more in you than we did coming in. So, thank you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, I read a book in college called Crazy Love. Has anybody read this book called Crazy Love by Francis Chan? Okay, a couple of head nods. Uh, it's okay to head nod. It's okay. Uh, but this book really kind of changed my life. But it's like one of those books you put down and you're like, oh, no, I'm not a Christian. Ah! And he's just, Francis just writes like that. He just makes you feel... Uh, uh, anyway, but there's there's two stories that he, he wrote uh, in one of his books um, that I want to tell this morning. Number one, he tells the story of Nathan Barlow, uh, who was a medical doctor um, who spent his life uh, over overseas in Ethiopia really addressing this, this horrendous disease called Mossy Foot. Um, and I was going to show you a picture of Mossy Foot, but I didn't want to scare uh, the kids this morning because it is insane. Like, they're, they're, I mean, there's volcanic ash in the soil in Ethiopia, in this rural, uh, this rural town. And they would walk, they would, again, villagers walk through this, and their feet just get absorbed in this, and they grow ulcers. And it's just a hideous, hideous disease where they're really like the lepers. They're like the outcast of society. Um, I mean, again, they're like Ninevites to Jonah. Um, and so there really is this, just this huge separation. Well, Nathan, he just felt so convicted to reach this, this city with the gospel. And most importantly, to, to help uh, these people with mossy foot. So he spent his life doing this. Uh, but, and, and he was so passionate about it that once he got a toothache, he got a toothache in the United States, I mean, in, in Ethiopia. And he had to fly back to the United States because it was so bad. It was so bad. And the doctor was like, you know, we had to pull his tooth. And, and then finally he just told the doctor, he said, hey, can you, just, can you just pull all my teeth? Like, can you just pull all my teeth? Because I don't want, you know, this to happen again when I'm in Ethiopia. And I'm going to have to stop the mission again and come back here. Can you just pull all my teeth now? And so they pulled all his teeth so it would not slow the work of spreading the gospel over in Ethiopia. I mean, again, this man was, uh, you can go on mossyfoot.com and learn all about just the work he has done there. So that's one story. And I want you to see if you can find a connection in this story. The Robertson family. The Robertson family is a family of five, okay? They have three kids under the age of 10, all right? And they, they choose to celebrate the birth of Christ um, and during Christmas a little bit differently. Instead of waking up in the morning and, and rushing to, to the presents, they wake up in the morning and they start making pancakes. They start making pancakes and they, they get a, uh, start making coffee and, and they grab a little red wagon and they head downtown. Uh, and they head downtown and they start walking the streets of this urban big city on Christmas morning looking for homeless to feed and give a warm breakfast on Christmas morning. So, there's one thing that I want you to see that links both of these stories. And one's more extreme than the other. And that is, there is a sacrifice of comfort. There's been a sacrifice of comfort for the compassion and mission of God. In both of these. And why I was thinking about these stories is because in these final verses of Jonah, we find that Jonah really still doesn't get it. Anybody read it? It's like, oh my gosh. Like, what are you doing? 
Uh, he just still doesn't get it. He is still, listen, at this point, he is still concerned with his own comfort, his little plant, his plant that was just bringing him comfort. He's, he's more concerned with a plant than people, than 120,000 people. He does not want to give up his comfort in order to join in, again, the mission of God. And see, here's, here's, a, here's a side note, and here's where we're going to kind of go this morning. Here's what I'm not saying this morning. One thing I'm not saying this morning is that, okay, uh, you have to go home and pull off your teeth. You have to go home and, and sell your house, live in a hut, okay? You better not have any too many possessions, and, and because God, you know, no, I think there's a weird thing that happens in Christianity sometimes where we almost, we are trying to justify ourselves to God by doing these types of works. That's not what I'm saying. But what I, am, I do want to push back is, uh, hello, we live in the West. Okay, I'm going to be a little blunt, and it's, we love comfort. We love just don't, I mean, don't mess up my schedule, don't mess up my time. We love comfort. And often, hear, hear, hear me out. Here's where we're going. Joining God in his mission and his mission of gospel advancement will at times cost you your comfort. Will at times cost you might your possessions, your money, or whatever. And in those moments, we have to understand that there is a constant wrestle. God's heart, my heart. God's heart, my heart. What I want or what God wants. And really, I really want to hold high this morning. And what I want to show you this morning is God's compassionate mission heart. Like God's mission. What can we learn about God's mission in this world that will stir our hearts to say no to comfort and yes, we want to join God more in what he is doing. All right, so that's kind of where we're going. Um, again, uh, I've got some observations, so if you're taking notes, I invite you to take notes. It's good to take notes. First observation about God's mission that I want us to see in this text, and it comes from verse 5, so you can put your finger on verse 5. God's mission looks like infiltrating instead of separating. God's mission looks like infiltrating instead of separating. So God just, you know, just asked Jonah a question. You know, do you really be angry? And so again, we're seeing God just being so patient with Jonah throughout this whole thing. He's like, calm down, Jonah, calm down. And then, but yet we see, we see verse 5, he responds again. So it says this, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade so he could see what would become of the city. So here's what's happening. Jonah goes far out to the east. Okay. He leaves Nineveh. He, and, and the east is meant a far distance, far off, so he could see the city. He gets his little camping chair. And then he's like, kids, hear me out. He builds a fort. Okay, at this moment, you're like, Jonah, this is great. Kids are like, I'm, I'm all in this. Okay, my backyard looks like, oh, it's so frustrating at times. There's stuff everywhere, but it's forts. Okay, it's a good thing. But he builds a fort. He builds a fort because it's super hot to get some shade. Okay, and why, and why is he out there? Why is he sitting outside in a camping chair 
okay, in this fort looking at the city is because he this is why he thinks, hey, the text is implying that he thinks that maybe, maybe God will change his mind. Maybe, maybe their repentance is going to be short-lived and God is still going to rain down wrath. And he wants a, he wants a front row seat. He's like, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. God, what are you going to do? I got my, I got my camping chair. I got my seltzer water. And I'm ready. Burn them. He is separate. You've got to see this. He is completely, once again, instead of going into the city like a good prophet would do and say, okay, hey, you know, I'm going to set up this discipleship program. Here's how I'm going to do. He's separated. He's walking away. And see, guys, I was so convicted in this verse because God's mission looks like the church. God's mission is sending and moving and it's the church. And how often is the church infiltrating or are we separating? And here's what I mean. And let me get at this with a question. Is the church more like a cruise ship or is it like a troop carrier? Anybody been on a cruise? Anybody? Okay. Do you have a game of oh, comfort? Should I raise my hands as a test? I've been on a cruise. Okay. And, and they're overrated, first off. They're just overrated. And you, it's, anyway. But on a, on a cruise, you're, you're on it and it's like just luxury to nines, right? Like, serve me. When's the next show? I can't wait to get another drink. You know, or just, this is just going to be a eat, drink, and be merry. And I better not have to wait long. I better not, I better not have to be waiting. This is all about me. So, or is the troop like, a, is the church like a troop carrier? Where we come in and we're ready for battle. We understand that there's a there's a mission. See, guys, I want to be a little blunt here, but again, as we begin to start thinking about, okay, yeah, we're I just got here, we're, we're we want to be a this new church. Like, here's what I cannot. We just have to continually to guard our hearts. When you come in here, I just got I just want to be pastoral and loving to you. This is not about you. Like the church, I'm sorry, but it's not just about you and your comforts and what what you want. I mean, often I think that's what we treat churches like. Give me a church, everything's great with music, this, 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 and it's just about me. Listen, listen. <laughs> no, like we are called in here to 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 regauge, refocus at Jesus and what He has done, and we are called to be mission-oriented. We are called to leave here with the gospel in hand, excited about where we can go find some darkness with the grace and the mercy of God. Uh, I, had a, I have had pastor friends be, like, put this question before me. I had church planning coaches put this before me. He has said, Rem, don't slow down and you need to be asking this question constantly. What um, what have you noticed about the biggest problems in Lakeview? What have you noticed about the biggest problems in Lakeview? Okay. I pray about that 
all the time. And I just want you to, I want, I want to invite you into that. Like, are we, are we serious about the mission of God? Do we want plant, to plant Grace Lake and to separate ourselves to be some, you know, great little new community? Or are we serious about, no, we, we want to plant, we want to grow Grace Lake because we want to be serious about pushing back the darkness in Lakin. We're, we want to be serious about understanding that we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God and we believe that when we, when we proclaim His Word that we can actually join God in pushing back darkness. That's why we're here. We're here for the mission. We're here to join Him in the mission. And so I just want to, I just want to encourage us continually, guys, that we are not quick to separate ourselves. And I would encourage you to look around instead of seeing those dark places in your job, in your family, and in your work, wherever, in the school, instead of seeing those as just, ah, these are just dark places and I need to maybe separate myself. Like, no, with the gospel in hand, how can you move into those places? And so Jonah, we learned that man, he is again, he's just separating himself from the mission of God does not look like that. Second thing that I see here, and it's so apparent, is God's mission involves his providence. If you don't know what that word is, we'll unpack it a little bit. So God's mission involves his providence. So this is in verses 6 through 9. So the text goes on and says, Now the Lord God appointed. Everybody say appointed. Good job. Good job. So the Lord God appointed a plant. Now, okay, I'm not going to tell you what kind of plant it is. Some things it's a castoral plant. Most scholars go round and round. Here, you're, it's a plant, okay? God made a plant and made shade. That's the point of the text. Okay, I don't really know. You want to argue with what kind of plant, man? Is it? It's a plant, uh, a castoral plant, my best guess. Okay, a plant comes, comes over to said, saves him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. I love it. This is the first, like one of the first times we're told that, that Jonah is exceedingly glad because, oh, I got a plant. Thank you for this plant. This is so amazing. And it saves them. Okay, and, and the play on words here in the Hebrew is not just, it's not just God saving him from his discomfort from the heat, but actually trying to save him from the evil of his heart. And then verse 7, look, but when dawn came up, the next day, God appointed, everybody say appointed, good job, a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. This is, kids, this is where we get the story of the hungry, hungry caterpillar, okay, right here. This is where it is, the footnotes. So, okay, I mean, this is crazy. A worm comes up, attacks the plant. Oh, the Bible's so fun. Okay, first day, when the sun rose again, God appointed, everybody say appointed. You got to see, certainly is in your Bible. A scorching east wind. The sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die. It's better for me to die than to live. Now, I had you say appointed for a reason. Remember, when we go through Scripture, we should be looking for themes and how it's structured and how, how is it, how, what is the author really trying to intend? Well, you got to see, uh, okay, he's just said appointed three times in like two verses. Okay, this is crazy. But we also, we understand that this is a theme all throughout Jonah. Because why? Uh, he appoints a fish. 
He appoints a swarm. He appoints a plant. He appoints a worm. He appoints an east fortune. I mean, he, God is appointing. God is providing, listen, God is providing at times comfort, and God is providing at times, what? Discomfort. And see, we see that God's hand over creation, it's this idea of his providence at work. So, okay, there is so much to be said about the doctrine of the providence of God. Literally, like one of my best favorite authors is John Piper, and he just wrote a book on God's providence like this thick. Okay? So I'm not going to stand up here and tell you everything about God's providence in this moment. Alright? If you're like, some of you are like, oh, what do you like this out? What do you think about this? Providences. Hear me out. I just want to get your feet wet a little bit on providence. And the best way I understand, I want to give you a definition that comes from the Heidelberg Catechism. Now, okay, now I just lost it. What Heidelberg, what catechism, what? Okay, so uh, here's the idea that in our faith, we have amazing, like church history goes back, we have amazing catechisms. The one of this church, we, we follow Westminster's standard confessions of faith, beautiful documents of great theology and doctrine, and we, ah, I don't know why the church we have veered off trying to really catechize, and that word catechize is just a crazy word that says to teach, to really teach our kids and our, and our church good, deep theology of who God is. And so, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, which is further back than the Westminster, um, says this, it was in 1563, it says, what do we understand about the providence of God? says this, the almighty, everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them that herbs and grass, <laughs> rain and drought, fruit and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, Riches and poverty, indeed, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Love that. You know why I love that? It's because here's a here, here, window in my heart, and maybe yours. You wake up in the morning, guess what you think? I'm in control. I'm going to do me. What, what's the most and, and you just wake up and you think, we do. We think we're in control. And I just want to remind you of something. Again, we're looking at the, the doctrine of God, His providence. God did not do this. God did not make the world like a wound up clock and He winds this thing up and He just says, okay, creation, go. Okay, world, Go and he steps back, and now God's like this, sitting in a chair, just saying, Whew, I'm just love you. I'm just gonna let creation run, and these people run. That is not what our God is. That's not the providence of God. The providence of God is like He's oh, He's controlling worm five millionth and saying, Hey, worm, you worm, get up and go. He knows every molecule that, that's not outside of His. Providence, his providing care, his sustainability. He's literally moving and 
I love, okay, I love what one author says. He says, God in patient love is still harnessing the forces of nature for the sole purpose of getting at the heart of one single man. You've got to see that in this text. God is literally, guys, more in control than we dare to dream. And that should bring us deep, deep, deep comfort. Listen, I'm not going to get into all the doctrine of suffering with providence, but I will say this. Do we just think God is at work? Do we think God is just at work when He provides plants in our lives? Blessing, like thank you God for kids and thank you God for this wealth and thank you God for this home. Yes, we should. I'm not saying that. Yes, thank you God for blessings. But do we still think God's at work when the worms come? When the wind comes? Again, I just talked about John Piper, but he says, he makes his statement, he says, God is most glorified, God is most glorified in you, in, in us, when, we, when I am most satisfied in him. And do you, you want to know something? The people in my life who I've looked at, and I've said, oh my goodness, you are just dripping Jesus. Like, I, you are just like, so, like, I just see God, you just make God look so good. You know when it comes, it doesn't come through all the blessing. Yes, thank God for the blessing. Yes, thank you, Lord, for that. But what happens when the bottom falls out? And when the bottom falls out, the worms come in your life, the disaster comes, and you're still saying, God, thank you. Praise be to your name. That makes God look so good. And we have to also remember, guys, that, that if God is the great evangelist, if God is the one in control, moving and orchestrating and doing what God does, still upholding the creation, still creating, still moving, that means we can leave here today and know that, okay, his providence is at work, and I can just start seeing how I can join him in what he's doing. Okay, so again, you have to see that God's mission involves his providence. His providence. And then, thirdly, God's mission is deeply compassionate. God's mission is deeply compassionate. So he says, I love this, verse so 9 to 11. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? God is literally like the parent that is coming to that child with a complete meltdown. Okay, we've been there, and it's like the kid doesn't want anything like to have it. Like, I don't have to like spank my kids because they're like, Dad, you just your lectures are enough. Like, stop reaching at me. Uh, and, and so it's like he's this is this is so again window into God's heart. Look how patient. Look, he's just coming alongside Jonah. It's like okay, <sighs> okay, Jonah. Okay, let's let's talk through this. And he said, "Yes, I do." And Jonah responds, "Yes, I do. 
have to be angry enough about enough to die. And at this moment, you're going to be like, Jonah, it's a plant, man. Let it go. It's a plant. And then the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came up into being into a night and it perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from their left and much cattle. The cows, Jonah. See, God is underscoring. You've got to get this. God is underscoring in this, in this text, right here in these verses, his deep, compassionate heart for Nineveh. And he does it by saying, okay, Jonah, let's do a little comparison game. I want, I want, I want some scales. On one end of the scale, Jonah, here's, I want it, my, my pity for Nineveh. I want you to put my pity for Nineveh. It's a great city. There's not a bigger city in this time. There's 120,000 people who do not know their left hand from the right. Some scholars think that that means that, oh, that means that there was 120,000 just children. I don't think it means that. I think it literally, he's getting at the depravity here. This is mean that they are morally corrupt. 120,000 people who are morally corrupt, they don't know their left hand from the right. Okay, Jonah, put that on your scale. And then if, you, if that doesn't do it enough for you, at least... Maybe the cows? And then on the other side, Jonah, your plant. Okay? Which one, Jonah? If you're sorrowful for the plant, shouldn't my heart, Jonah, shouldn't my heart and your heart break for people made in the image of God who are lost, Jonah? I literally handpicked and crafted these. I know them, Jonah. Jonah, take your eyes off your ceiling cover for a moment and look at look at this, Jonah. And see, we get such a picture of God's deep compassionate heart in these verses. And guess what? The book ends with a question, as if to say, "Well, what do you think?" What do you think about God's compassion on heart? And listen, I don't, I just get frustrated with my heart sometimes. Why is it that I care? I'm just, why is it that we care? I care about where my Amazon Prime is. Okay, I moved to Western Kansas and it's no longer two days, it's like a week. What is this? Lord, it's coming undone. Everything's unraveled because this is a day late. And I will just lose my mind over an Amazon Prime. I will literally get grumpy. And yet, there are people in our city, guys, that don't know Jesus. Hudson Taylor, I don't if you're familiar with church history and just his amazing missionary, he said this. He said, I could barely stand in church with a hundred and uh, with thousands of Englishmen singing praises of God. He's like, I could barely be in there because there's 
there were so many untold other Chinese unbelievers out there. And he said this. He said, would that God make hell so real to us that we could not rest? I love that. Would, would God make hell so real to us that we could not rest? You're like, whoa, that seems intense. Like, we're just saving people out of hell? No, that's not. We want to get them into the glory of God. That's what the Christian life's about. But we have to understand that Jesus talked about hell way more than he did heaven. We have to understand, like, this is, like, there are people that literally, maybe in our city or around, that don't know him. Apart from him, we know we'll be eternally separated from the Heavenly Father. So my question is, is what if you're not there? What if your heart, again, it's just, I haven't convinced you. You're right, you're still sitting, it's like, ah, I'm not comfortable. That's your job. You go do the mission. You go talk about Jesus. I'm not doing that. That's why we got you here. No. What if your heart is still just not there? You're like Jonah. One way I, I want us to be very clear and I, I want to end like this is I don't want you to hear this and guilt and shame yourself into mission. Into joining God's heart and mission. It's like, oh, just come on, Grace Lake, all right, would you just start sharing the gospel? Pull yourself up. Come on. Like, what are you doing? No, I don't, I don't think that's how God responds to Jonah. God doesn't respond to Jonah like that. God responds to Jonah with deep compassion. We have to get our hearts more satisfied deeper in the gospel. Deeper into the ways that Christ has redeemed and healed and restored us. And listen, over a century ago, the Princeton theologian B.B. Warfield, again, I know I'm not saying something, Warfield did, he did an amazing scholarly article on, it says, the emotion life, the emotional life of the Lord, where he considered every record instance in the Gospels that describe the emotions of Christ. He concluded, and I, I, this is amazing, that the typical statement, the most typical statement of Jesus' emotional life was the phrase, he was moved with compassion. The Greek phrase literally means he was moved from the depths of his being. The Bible records Jesus weeping 20 times for every one time, and it, it notes that he laughs. He was a man of sorrows. We're literally going to sing that song here in a couple weeks. And not because he was naturally depressive. No, he wasn't. No, he had emotions. And he had his, his a normal emotion of joy in the Holy Spirit and in faith, yet he grieved far more than he laughed because his compassion connected him with us. Our sadness makes him sad. Our pain brings him pain. And yet Jesus didn't just weep for us, guys. Jesus did not just weep for us, but we know he laid down his life for us. See, as we come to the end of Jonah, I want you to again see Jesus didn't hesitate as Jonah did. Jesus decided to say, okay, I'm not going to separate myself. I'm going straight into the mess. 
So as you gaze at your heart, listen, as you gaze at your heart, and you might see, again, I'm just, my heart, like, I, I want to burn more with the passion and zeal for the mission. And you're, you're, you're like Jonah. You don't have to run from Jesus, but you can run toward him. Yes, Jonah, in Jonah we do see God is holy. We do see God is a God of providence. He's a God of might. But most of all, I think we see in Jonah that he is a merciful and gracious God. And how wide, you might ask how wide is his mercy? As far as Jesus' stretched hands on the cross. It's as wide as his outstretched arms on the cross. He died for the Jonas in this room and died for the Ninevites in this room. And in him, it's by gazing at him. It's ruining our hearts of as we have been reconciled, God has entrusted us with this gift of reconciliation. How amazing, guys. See, most, most scholars think Jonah got it. And why do they think Jonah got it? It's because we have the book of Jonah. Seriously. And like, he just throws in humor things like, oh, cat. Yeah. Like, I mean, most, yeah, most think you got it, but are, are we going to get it? Let us, again, look at how God was so compassionate, so merciful to Jonah. God just going after him and let that same love fuel us to move out, drop our plants, drop our little comforts, and move out to people with the hope of the gospel in hand. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And I just, I thank you that it does all the work. And I just, Lord, again, I just pray you would help realign our hearts. Realign our hearts. That we would care more for your mission. Our hearts would break more. Would you forgive our hearts? Forgive us for times where we do. We love our plants and comforts and and that God offers with burn with a deeper zeal, a deeper desire to see how you're working in Jesus' name. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, I just, man, you always want to make the transition from text to table. And I was thinking, it's like, what greater picture of God's mission and of God's grace and mercy than this sacrament. Right? I mean, it was Jesus's, I mean, it was God's plan A to rescue and redeem sinners, uh, sending Jesus. Sending Jesus um, to, to break his body and shed his blood for us so we could have redeemed life. And I love it that he gives us this sacrament because he knows we're forgetful people. We, we, we forget and we need, to, we need to remember and remember and remember. Remember that just as Jesus tore and broke his body and shed his blood for you, he is saying, okay, you've got to get this. 
Because I was broken and my blood was spilled out, you don't have to. You don't have to strive and try to break and try to tear and try to pour out your blood to earn or God. No, I have done it. It is finished. I have done it for you. Child, stop breaking yourself. I've done it. And so I, I, I want to remind us too that this is not the table of the EPC or Presbyterian Church or Grace Lakin. This is this is Jesus' table. This is his invitation. And his invitation is for those who are in relationship with Jesus. This is for the believer. Now I'll say this is gentle as well. This is not for the unbeliever. And if you're if you're still trying to figure out this Jesus thing, you gotta put faith in him. I just I just want you to stare at the sacrament. And in this moment, use this time instead of partaking, just saying, Lord, I surrender. I put my faith in you. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. And so I want to turn to 1 Corinthians 11. The, the words of the institution says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the night when he was portrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, Lord, we... We come right now, and I pray you again, slow us down. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for this sacrament, Lord. And I'm praying that, yeah, your, your Holy Spirit would, would use it, and, and that, God, it would strengthen our union again with you, Father. And so, Lord, just bless these elements, and again, use it. Use it to help us remember and crave and cherish you more. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, again, we use intention here. And again, that's a, it's a fancy word that just says we tear bread and we dip it. Alright? So, uh, when, you, when your heart's ready, I would just invite you to, to come forward. And there's some hand sanitizer if you want to utilize that. And you'll just tear a piece of the bread. And then you'll dip it into the chalice. And then you'll return to your seat. So again, when your heart is ready.
Amen. 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 Well, go this week and know. Go this week and know that God is at work. Really, that He is at work. And you can join in, in His mission of redemption and reconciliation. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for joining us at Grace Lakin. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Grace Lakin KS, on YouTube, and at gracelakin.com.